Section 8 of the Book of Sir Marco Polo, The Venetian, Concerning the Kingdoms and Marvels of the East, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Book of Sir Marco Polo, The Venetian, Concerning the Kingdoms and Marvels of the East, Volume 1, by Rusticello da Pisa. Translated by Henry Yule. Introductory Notices, Part 8. Notices of Marco Polo's History After the Termination of His Imprisonment at Genoa. A few very disconnected notices are all that can be collected of matter properly biographical in relation to the quarter-century during which Marco Polo survived the Genoese captivity. We have seen that he would probably reach Venice in the course of August 1299. Whether he found his aged father alive is not known, but we know at least that a year later, 31st of August, 1300, Messer Niccolo was no longer in life. This we learn from the will of the younger Mafio, Marcus' brother, which bears the date just named, and of which we give an abstract below. It seems to imply strong regard for the testator's brother Marco, who is made inheritor of the bulk of the property, failing the possible birth of a son. I have already indicated some conjectural deductions from this document. I may add that the terms of the second clause, as quoted in the note, seem to me to throw considerable doubt on the genealogy which bestows a large family of sons upon his brother Mafio. If he lived to have such a family, it seems improbable that the draft which he thus left in the hands of a notary to be converted into a will in the event of his death, a curious example of the validity attaching to all acts of notaries in those days, should never have been superseded, but should actually have been so converted after his death. As the existence of the parchment seems to prove. But for this circumstance, we might suppose the Marcolino mentioned in the ensuing paragraph to have been a son of the younger Mafio. Master Mafio, the uncle, was, we see, alive at this time. We do not know the year of his death, but it is alluded to by Friar Pipino in the preamble to his translation of the book, supposed to have been executed about 1315 and 1320, and we learn from a document in the Venetian archives that it must have been previous to 1318 and subsequent to February 1309, the date of his last will. The will itself is not known to be extant, but from the reference to it in this document we learn that he left one thousand lire of public debt, in prestitorum, to a certain Marco Polo, called Marcolino. The relationship of this Marco to old Mafio is not stated, but we may suspect him to have been an illegitimate son. Marcolino was a son of Niccolo, son of Marco the Elder. See Volume 2, Calendar, Number 6. In 1302 occurs what was at first supposed to be a glimpse of Marco as a citizen, slight and quaint enough, being a resolution on the books of the Great Council to exempt the respectable Marco Polo from the penalty incurred by him on account of the omission to have his water-pipe duly inspected. But since our Marco's claims to the designation of nobilis vir have been established, there is a doubt 
whether the providus vir or prudome here spoken of may not have been rather his namesake marco polo of canareggio or san jeremia of whose existence we learn from another entry of the same year it is however possible that marco the traveller was called to the great council after the date of the document in question we have seen that the traveller and after him his house and his book acquired from his contemporaries the surname or nickname rather of il milione different writers have given different explanations of the origin of this name some beginning with his contemporary fra jacopo d'acqui ascribing it to the families having brought home a fortune of a million of lire in fact to their being millionaires this is the explanation followed by sansofino marco barbaro coronelli and others more far-fetched is that of fontanini who supposes the name to have been given to the book as containing a great number of stories like the cento novelle or the thousand and one nights but there can be no doubt that ramusius is the true as it is the natural explanation and that the name was bestowed on marco by the young wits of his native city because of his frequent use of a word which appears to have been then unusual in his attempts to convey an idea of the vast wealth and magnificence of the khan's treasury and court ramusio has told us that he had seen marco styled by this sobriquet in the books of the seigneury and it is pleasant to be able to confirm this by the next document which we cite this is an extract from the books of the great council under the tenth of april thirteen o five condoning the offence of a certain bonaccio of mestre in smuggling wine for whose penalty one of the sureties had been the nobilis vir marcus paolo milioni it is alleged that long after our traveller's death there was always in the venetian masks one individual who assumed the character of marco milioni and told munchausen like stories to divert the vulgar such if this be true was the honour of our prophet among the populace of his own country a little later we hear of marco once more as presenting a copy of his book to a noble frenchman in the service of charles of valois this prince brother of philip the fair in thirteen o one had married catherine daughter and heiress of philip de courtenay titular emperor of constantinople and on the strength of his marriage had at a later date set up his own claim to the empire of the east to this he was prompted by pope clement v who in the beginning of thirteen o six wrote to venice stimulating that government to take part in the enterprise in the same year charles and his wife sent as their envoys to venice in connection with this matter a noble knight called thibault de sepoy along with an ecclesiastic of chartres called pierre le riche and these two succeeded in executing a treaty of alliance with venice of which the original dated fourteenth december thirteen o six exists at paris thibault de sepoy eventually went on to greece with a squadron of venetian galleys but accomplished nothing of moment and returned to his master in thirteen ten during the stay of thibault at venice he seems to have made acquaintance with marco polo and to have received from him a copy of his book 
This is recorded in a curious note, which appears on two existing manuscripts of Polo's book. This, that of the Paris Library, 10,270, or FR 5,649, and that of Bern, which is substantially identical in its text with the former, and this, I believe, a copy of it. The note runs as follows. Here you have the book of which my lord, Thibault, knight and lord of Sepoy, who made God a soil, requested a copy from Sir Mark Polo, burgess and resident of the city of Venice. And the said sire Marco Polo, being a very honorable person of high character and respect in many countries, because of his desire that what he had witnessed should be known throughout the world, and also for the honor and reverence he bore to the most excellent and puissant prince, my lord Charles, son of the king of France and count of Valois, gave and presented to the aforesaid lord of Sepoy the first copy that was taken of his said book after he had made the same. And very pleasing it was to him that his book should be carried to the noble country of France, and there made known by so worthy a gentleman. And from that copy, which the said Messiah Thibault, sire de Sepoy, above named, did carry into France, Messiah John, who was his eldest son, and is the present sire de Sepoy, after his father's decease, did have a copy made, and that very first copy that was made of the book, after its being carried into France, he did present to his very dear and dread Lord Monseigneur de Valois. Thereafter he gave copies of it to such of his friends as asked for them. And the copy above mentioned was presented by the sad sire Marco Polo to the sad Lord de Sepoy when the latter went to Venice on the part of Monseigneur de Valois and of Madame the Empress, his wife, as vicar general for them both in all the territories of the Empire of Constantinople. And this happened in the year of the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ, 1307, and in the month of August. Of the bearings of this memorandum on the literary history of Polo's book, we shall speak in a following section. When Marco married, we have not been able to ascertain, but it was no doubt early in the 14th century, for in 1324 we find that he had two married daughters, besides one unmarried. His wife's Christian name was Donata, but of her family we have as yet found no assurance. I suspect, however, that her name may have been Loredano. Under 1311 we find a document which is of considerable interest, because it is the only one yet discovered which exhibits Marco under the aspect of a practical trader. It is the judgment of the court of requests upon a suit brought by the noble Marco Polo of the parish of San Giovanni Crisostomo against one Paolo Girardo of San Apollinare. It appears that Marco had entrusted to the latter as a commission agent for sale on an agreement for half profits, a pound and a half of musk, priced at six lire of grossi, about twenty-two pounds ten shillings in value of silver, the pound. Girardo had sold half a pound at that rate, and the remaining pound, which he brought back, was deficient of a saggio, or one-sixth of an ounce, but he had accounted for neither the sale nor the deficiency. Hence Marco sues him for three lire of grossi, the price of the half-pound sold, and for twenty grossi as the value of the saggio. And the judges cast the defendant in the amount with costs, 
and the penalty of imprisonment in the common jail of Venice if the amounts were not paid within a suitable term. Again, in May 1323, probably within a year of his death, Sir Marco appears, perhaps only by attorney, before the Doge and his judicial examiners, to obtain a decision respecting a question touching the rights to certain stairs and porticos in contact with his own house property, and that obtained from his wife in San Giovanni Grisostomo. To this allusion has been already made. We catch sight of our traveller only once more. It is on the ninth of January, 1324. He is labouring with disease, under which he is sinking day by day. And he has sent for Giovanni Giustiniani, priest of San Procolo, and notary, to make his last will and testament. It runs thus. In the name of the eternal God, Amen. In the year from the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ, 1323, on the ninth day of the month of January, in the first half of the seventh indiction at Rialto. It is the counsel of divine inspiration, as well as the judgment of a provident mind, that every man should take thought to make a disposition of his property before death become imminent, lest in the end it should remain without any disposition. Wherefore I, Marcus Paulo, of the parish of St. John Chrysostom, finding myself to grow daily feebler through bodily ailment, but being by the grace of God of a sound mind, and of senses and judgment unimpaired, have sent for John Justiniani, priest of San Procolo and notary, and have instructed him to draw out in complete form this my testament, whereby I constitute as my trustees Donata, my beloved wife, and my dear daughters Fantina, Belella, and Moreta, in order that after my decease they may execute the dispositions and bequests which I am about to make herein. First of all, I will and direct that the proper tithe be paid, and over and above the said tithe I direct that two thousand lire of Venice denari be distributed as follows. This twenty soldi of Venice grossi to the monastery of St. Lawrence, where I desire to be buried. Also three hundred lire of Venice denari to my sister-in-law Isabetta Quirino, that she owes me. Also forty soldi to each of the monasteries and hospitals, all the way from Grado to Capodargine. Also I bequeath to the convent of San Giovanni and San Paolo, of the Order of Preachers, that which it owes me, and also ten lire to Friar Henier, and five lire to Friar Benvenuto, the Venetian, of the Order of Preachers, in addition to the amount of his debt to me. I also bequeath five lire to every congregation in Rialto, and four lire to every guild or fraternity of which I am a member. Also I bequeath twenty soldi of Venetian Grossi to the priest Giovanni Giustiniani the notary, for his trouble about this my will, and in order that he may pray the Lord in my behalf. Also I release Peter the Tartar, my servant, from all bondage, as completely as I pray God to release mine own soul from all sin and guilt. And I also remit him whatever he may have gained by work at his own house. And over and above I bequeath him a hundred lire of Venice denari. And the residue of the said two thousand lire, free of tithe, I direct to be distributed for the good of my soul, according to the discretion of my trustees. Out of my remaining property, I bequeath to the aforesaid Donata, my wife and trustee, eight lire of Venetian grossi annually, during her life, for her own use, over and above her settlement, and the linen and all the household utensils, with three beds garnished. 
and all my other property movable and immovable that has not been disposed of he follows some lines of mere technicality i especially and expressly bequeath to my aforesaid daughters fantina bellella and moreta freely and absolutely to be divided equally among them and i constitute them my heirs as regards all and sundry my property movable and immovable and as regards all rights and contingencies tacit and expressed of whatsoever kind as herein before detailed that belong to me or may fall to me save and except that before division my said daughter moreta shall receive the same as each of my other daughters hath received for dory and outfit here follow many lines of technicalities ending and if any one shall presume to infringe or violate this will may he incur the malediction of god almighty and abide bound under the anathema of the three hundred eighteen fathers and furthermore he shall forfeit to my trustees aforesaid five pounds of gold and so let this my testament abide in force the signature of the above-named master marco polo who gave instructions for this deed peter griffin priest witness humphrey barberi witness john justiniani priest of san procolo and notary have completed and authenticated this testament we do not know as has been said how long marco survived the making of this will but we know from a scanty series of documents commencing in june of the following year thirteen twenty five that he had then been some time dead he was buried no doubt according to his declared wish in the church of san lorenzo and indeed sansovino bears testimony to the fact in a confused notice of our traveller but there does not seem to have been any monument to marco though the sarcophagus which had been erected to his father niccolo by his own filial care existed till near the end of the sixteenth century in the porch or corridor leading to the old church of san lorenzo and bore the inscription sepultura domini nicolai paolo de contrata sancti ioannis grisostemi the church was renewed from its foundations in fifteen ninety two and then probably the sarcophagus was cast aside and lost and with it all certainty as to the position of the tomb there is no portrait of marco polo in existence with any claim to authenticity the quaint figure which we give in the bibliography extracted from the earliest printed edition of his book can certainly make no such pretension the oldest one after this is probably a picture in the collection of monsignor badia at rome of which i am now able by the owner's courtesy to give a copy it is set down in the catalogue to titian but is probably a work of the sixteen hundreds or thereabouts to which the aspect and costume belong it is inscribed marcus polus venetus totius orbis et indie peregratur primus its history unfortunately cannot be traced but i believe it came from a collection at urbino a marble statue was erected in his honour by a family at venice in the seventeenth century and is still to be seen in the palazzo morosini gettenberg in the campo san stefano in that city the medallion portrait on the wall of the sala dello scudo in the ducal palace and which was engraved in bettoni's collection of portraits of illustrious italians is a work of imagination painted by francesco grisellini in seventeen sixty one from this however was taken the medal by fabri 
which was struck in 1847 in honor of the last meeting of the Italian Congresso Scientifico, and from the medal again is copied, I believe, the elegant woodcut which adorns the introduction to Monsieur Potier's edition, though without any information as to its history. A handsome bust by Augusto Gamba has lately been placed among the illustrious Venetians in the inner arcade of the Ducal Palace. There is also a mosaic portrait of Polo, opposite the similar portrait of Columbus in the municipio at Genoa. From the short series of documents recently alluded to, we gather all that we know of the remaining history of Marco Polo's immediate family. We have seen in his will an indication that the two eldest daughters, Fantina and Bellella, were married before his death. In 1333, we find the youngest, Moreta, also a married woman, and Bellella, deceased. In 1336, we find that their mother, Donata, had died in the interval. We learn, too, that Fantina's husband was Marco Bragadino, and Moreta's Ranuzzo Dolfino. The name of Bellella's husband does not appear. Fantina's husband is probably the Marco Bragadino, son of Pietro, who, in 1346, is mentioned to have been sent as Proveditore Generale to act against the Patriarch of Aquileia. And in 1379, we find Donna Fantina herself, presumably in widowhood, assessed as a resident of San Giovanni Crisostomo, on the estimo or forced loan for the Genoese war, at 1,300 lire, whilst Pietro Bragadino, of the same parish, her son, as I imagine, is assessed at 1,500 lire. The documents show a few other incidents which may be briefly noted. In 1326, we have the record of a charge against one Zanino Grioni for insulting Donna Moreta in the Campo of San Vitale, a misdemeanor punished by the Council of Forty with two months' imprisonment. In March 1328, Marco Polo, called Marcolino of St. John Chrysostom, represents before the Domini Advocatores of the Republic that certain imprestita that had belonged to the late Mafio Polo the Elder had been alienated and transferred in May 1318 by the late Marco Polo of St. John Chrysostom, and since his death by his heirs, without regards to the rights of the said Marcolino, to whom the said Master Mafio had bequeathed one thousand lire by his will, executed on the 6th of February, 1308, that is, 1309. The advocatores find that the transfer was to that extent unjust and improper, and they order that to the same extent it should be revoked and annulled. Two months later, the Lady Donata makes rather an unpleasant figure before the Council of Forty. It would seem that, on the claim of Messer Bertuccio Quirino, a mandate of sequestration had been issued by the Court of Requests, affecting certain articles in the Capolo, including two bags of money, which had been tied and sealed, but left in the custody of the Lady Donata. The sum so sealed was about eighty lire of grossi, three hundred pounds in silver value, but when opened, only forty-five lire and twenty-two grossi, about one hundred seventy pounds, were found therein, and the lady was accused of abstracting the balance non bono modo. Probably she acted, as ladies sometimes do, on a strong sense of her own rights and a weak sense of the claims of law. 
but the council pronounced against her, ordering restitution and a fine of two hundred lire over and above, ut ceteris transeat in exemplum. It will have been seen that there is nothing in the amounts mentioned in Marco's will to bear out the large reports as to his wealth, though at the same time there is no positive ground for a deduction to the contrary. The mention in two of the documents of Agnes Loredano as the sister of the Lady Donata suggests that the latter may have belonged to the Loredano family, but as it does not appear whether Agnes was maid or wife, this remains uncertain. Respecting the further history of the family, there is nothing certain, nor can we give unhesitating faith to Ramuzio's statement that the last male descendant of the polos of San Giovanni Crisostomo was Marco, who died Castellano of Verona in 1417, according to others 1418 or 1425, and that the family property then passed to Maria, or Anna, as she styled in a manuscript statement furnished to me from Venice, who was married in 1401 to Benedetto Cornaro, and again in 1414 to Azzo Trevisan. Her descendant in the fourth generation by the latter was Marc Antonio Trevisano, who was chosen doge in 1553. The genealogy recorded by Marco Barbaro, as drawn up from documents by Ramuzio, makes the Castellano of Verona a grandson of our Marco by a San Mafio, who we may safely pronounce not to have existed, and makes Maria the daughter of Mafio, Marco's brother, that is to say, makes a lady marry in 1414 and have children whose father was born in 1271 at the very latest. The genealogy is given in several other ways, but as I have satisfied myself that they all, except perhaps this of Barbaros, which we see to be otherwise erroneous, confound together the two distinct families of Polo of San Jeremia and Polo of San Giovanni Crisostomo, I reserve my faith and abstain from presenting them. Assuming that the Marco or Marcolino Polo spoken of in the preceding page was a near relation, as is probable, though perhaps an illegitimate one, he is the only male descendant of old Andrea of San Felice, whom we can indicate as having survived Marco himself. And from a study of the links in the professed genealogies, I think it not unlikely that both Marco the Castellano of Verona and Maria Trevisan belonged to the branch of San Jeremia. The unfortunate doge of Venice, Marino Faliero, seems to have possessed many souvenirs of Marco Polo, and among them two manuscripts, one in the handwriting of his celebrated fellow-citizen, and one adorned with miniatures. Mr. Julius von Schlosser has reprinted from the Bulletino di Arti Industrie Curiosità Veneziane, 3, 1880-1881, page 101, the inventory of the curiosities kept in the red chamber of Marino Faliero's palace in the parish of the St. Apostles. We give the following abstract of it. Anno ab incarnatione Domini Nostri Jesu Christi, millesimo trincentesimo quinquagesimo primo, indictione sexta mensis aprilis, inventarium rerum qui sunt in camera rubea domini habitationis clarissimi domini marini faletro de confinio sanctorum apostolorum scriptum per me Johannem presbiterum dicte ecclesiae. Item, alia capsaleta cum ogiis auri et argenti, 
interquos unum anulum con inscriptione quae dicit, cuble can Marco Polo, et unum torques cum multis animalibus tartarorum scutis, quae res donum dedit predictus Marcus quidem faletrorum. Item duo, capsalete decorio albo cum variis rebus auri et argenti, quas habuit praedictus Marcus a barbarorum rege. Item unum, ensem mirabilem, qui habet tres enses simul, quen habuit in suis itineribus praedictus Marcus. Item unum, tenturam de panis indicis, quam habuit praedictus Marcus. Item de itineribus marci praedicti liber, in corio albo cum multis figuris. Item, aliud volumem, quod vocatur de locis mirabilibus tartarorum, scriptum mano praedicti marci. There is, kept at the Louvre, in the very valuable collection of China ware, given by Mr. Ernest Grandidier, a white porcelain incense burner, said to come from Marco Polo. This incense burner, which belonged to Baron Davidier, who received it as a present from one of the keepers of the treasury of St. Mark's at Venice, is an octagonal ting from the Fokien province, and of the time of the Sung dynasty. By the kind permission of Monsieur Grandidier, we reproduce it from the plate 2-6 of the Ceramique Chinoise, Paris, 1894, published by this learned amateur. End of section 8